0: Okay, I hear. Bzz, 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 bzz. Uh, I think many of you might suggest the Gospel of John, Gospel of John, um, and you might also suggest that they skip one verse. They skip the very first verse, which is kind of like mysterious and which can be very puzzling and and it may turn them off. Right? It, it says, uh, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Wow! Oh, some people cannot even get past verse one. But after your friend has read through at least one of the Gospels, or maybe they've read through all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, what other book of the Bible might you recommend to them? This is not a trick question, right?
1: Yeah.
0: So many pastors would, I think, unhesitatingly recommend the book or the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, it's a really important book that talks about the spiritual world, okay? We are so sometimes out of touch with the spiritual world because we are so physical in all uh, of, of daily lives. Spiritual world, spiritual life, the community of the church, what is this thing called church all about, and how does it operate in the spiritual realm? And if you do that, if you recommend the book of Ephesians, then you might actually want to say, hey, don't skip one verse. Skip a whole chapter. Forget about chapter 1. And, uh, and that's the chapter that I've been assigned to by myself. Um, jump to chapter 2, because chapter 1 is a mysterious chapter. Actually, the word mysterious is mentioned six times in the book of uh, Ephesians, more than any other, other book in the Bible. So let's, let's read it for ourselves. And, and see what it says. So starting from chapter 1, verse 1, uh, this is the ESV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What is this mystery? This mysterious word predestined or predestined, Destination, And some people explain it away very quickly. Something like this. Oh, what is predestined? It's a plan. That God plan, God's plan was to first have a chosen race, the Jewish people, to be a blessing to the nations. And then it culminated in a chosen saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring the ultimate blessing of salvation to all nations, to everybody, to the world. So predestination, Is that plan of salvation. Jews first, then Jesus, then all of us. Okay, I know that this this doesn't satisfy you. Because the burning question in your heart, in our heart, is the question we all want to know is does God predestine some of us to be saved and then go to heaven? And does God predestine some of us not to be saved and therefore go to hell. And so many complicated arguments and books have been written about this predestination over more than a thousand years. And so in my hopefully short sermon this this, uh, afternoon, all I can do is to lay out some key points for your consideration. We've had written records of this argument since the early days of Augustine and Pelagius if you really go back, this were like uh, the earliest written arguments about this around 400 AD. 400 AD, so that's like well, 1,600 years ago. But it really came to the fore in uh, the 1500s and the 1600s with uh, two men, two major proponents of uh, these ideas. The first one is John Calvin, and what he proposes is then called Calvinism. And he summarizes, he summarizes his arguments in, in five points. The first one is total depravity. That man is so depraved, so sinful, that it even affected his will. His will, therefore, uh, his ability to make choices is so sinful that he cannot respond. He cannot respond to God's love. He cannot respond to God's grace. We are, by nature, children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Second point that he postulates is unconditional election, that God is sovereign and God can do whatever He wishes. And therefore God chose Israel to start off His plan. And therefore God chose you to be safe, to be with Him in heaven. And it is unconditional in the a, in, in a sense that man cannot do anything to save himself. Man can do nothing. And John chapter 15 verse 16, Jesus says, I, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And conversely then, those that God did not choose will not be with Him in heaven and therefore hell. And this is what is called double predestination. Some are predestined to heaven, some are predestined to hell. The third point is limited atonement. And that Jesus' blood, Jesus' atonement, um, forgiveness of sin, is limited only to those that he chooses to be saved. And this is some legal argument here, that the sacrifice of his blood is sufficient to cover all the sins of the world, but it only legally covers those sins of the people that he chose, the elect. So that's limited atonement, we're getting to the end. Point number four is irresistible grace. When God chooses you, you have no choice. You will be saved. And the last one, perseverance of all saints, it basically summarized in these four words. Once saved, always saved. And and John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says that um, I will not lose anyone that the Father has given to me. Right? So when you're safe, you're forever safe. You will, will never be unsaved. And the first letter of this five points spells tulip. So it's very easy to remember. Calvinism, tulip. Okay, it's a lot more complicated than this, but I've simplified it as much as I can. In fact, this is the only way I know how. My mind is not so complicated to have all the twists and turns. Now, the other proponent is, is a name a man by the name of Jacobus Arminian. is almost totally the opposite of this. Okay? And he also has biblical basis for what he talks about. So Jacobus Arminian, therefore Arminianism. Uh, Arminian, M-I, uh, not M-E. M-E is a race. So, um, God desires all people to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So everyone must be free to choose. Everyone has a free will. God cannot compel you to be safe. It's of a free will. Number two, conditional whoops. Conditional election. God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything. So he knows what your decision will be. He knows those who believe in him. And therefore, he elects those who have chosen him. Okay? It's kind of like a circular argument, but that is conditional election. Number three, unlimited atonement. Christ's atonement, his forgiveness of sins is for everybody. He takes away the sins of the, not elect, but he takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29. Next, resistible grace. That means his grace can be resisted. Free will means that you can resist God's grace. God can be sending lots of people to talk to you, to love you and He gives you grace for everything but you can resist it. You can harden your heart against God and that's biblical. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 and number 5, falling from grace which means salvation can be lost in in inverted commas. You can reject Christ after receiving Christ and Hebrews chapter 6 uh, from verse 4 to For the six says it is impossible for somebody who has fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Means you can fall away. So, two opposite camps. Okay, what do you agree with and what do you not agree or disagree with? And can we disagree without being disagreeable? Because respected Christians and theologians are found on both sides of the argument. And we can strongly, strongly argue for our preference on the subject of predestination, but can we also disagree with others who are also brothers in Christ, but don't become disagreeable? As long as we both believe that we are sinners. And we are saved by what? Only by God's grace. So I decided to search the internet for Names of famous Christians who are on this side and who are on that side, whether Calvin or Armenian, And I went to this website, and I would call it a disagreeable website. It says this, I quote, famous Calvinists: Jesus, the apostles, and then it has John Piper, D.A. Carson, and some other names. People guilty of spreading the false free will gospel, Billy Graham. That means Armenian, Billy Graham, A.W. Tozer, Billy Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church. These are false uh, preachers. Okay, so what do you think? You know, what, what is your position? What would your position be? And, and I know that some of you who have read and thought further about this and have a stronger intellect would, would find this summary kind of too, too, too simplistic. But really, this is all I can come up with. This is all my brain can handle. In fact, I'm going to simplify it even further like this. My position will go something like this. That man must have free will because otherwise we'd be robots. And the definition of love is that you are free to choose. God is love and love can only operate in free will. You cannot force somebody to love you. Have you ever tried the head? No, no, for guys who have known girls before and they reject you, you force them more. You, you can't do it. By definition, God, uh, love operates in, in free will. So man must have free will. Secondly, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing, otherwise he's not God, and he must know who will come to him in faith and who will continue to reject him forever. But sometimes I think it is helpful to think about it being the two sides of the coin or the two sides of a door. It's like I choose to enter through the door of salvation by believing in Jesus. But once I enter through the door, I look back, oh, I was chosen in the first place. I was chosen in the first place. And we are got to hold this both in tension because God is sovereign, He's all-knowing, and He knows. Now, whatever your leaning is, whether you are Calvinist, or Armenian, our position in God are all the same, right? We are sinners. If you don't agree with that, then then I think we will have a big quarrel, okay? That is like the basis of the Christian faith. But we are all sinners, and we are all saved by God's grace. We are all saved by Christ's sacrifice. That much we can agree with, whether you are Calvin or Armenian. And and some people have suggested that this is a a useful way to, to think about this. And the quote is this. Sleep like a Calvinist, work like an Armenian. What does it mean? We can sleep like a Calvinist because we're so secure in our faith, so secure in God's love, so secure in being a child of God, that once saved, always saved. And yet, we work like, a, like an Armenian because we must be worthy of Christ's uh, 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 sacrifice and, and saving us. We work like crazy because everybody can receive Christ. And, and it's not only the chosen ones, and it's not for us to decide who's chosen and who's not. I work like crazy to share the gospel and to share God's love. And we are also careful not to think that we stand, we take heed, lest we fall uh, fall from grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So we hold this both in tension. But really, besides predestination... There are many other mysteries in the Christian faith in Christianity. Ephesians use the word mystery six times. Another one that we need to hold intention that is found even in Ephesians chapter 1 is verse 1. God the Father. God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, just note... Uh, As an aside, heavenly places doesn't mean heaven, okay? Because heavenly places is also used in Ephesians chapter 6 when it talks about fierce spiritual warfare, the principalities and the powers, the demons are operating in the heavenly places. So what it means is that it is the spiritual realm, okay? So God the Father has blessed us. Verse 7, God the Son, Jesus, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 13 and 14, God the Spirit, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are there three gods? No, it's one God, but yet, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. is a mystery. You know, we think that we have solved pretty much um, all the mysteries of physics and the natural world in our enlightened and scientific age, but... How is it that light can be both particle and light is also a wave? And scientific equations work equally well uh, for both. Ah, so we hold it in tension. tension. How is it that water can be solid in ice and water vapor in gas and, and liquid? Ah, we hold it in tension. Ah, but one more, one more. Water can also be super cooled or super heated where water remains water as a liquid even when the temperature is below freezing point. Ah, holy intention. Lah. That's what we do. We hold all these ideas in tension. So predestination is a mystery. The Trinity of God is a mystery. And we hold this somewhat conflicting ideas in tension. But there, there is even more. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 talks about the mystery of the gospel. That one man... God, Jesus came, died, and his one death can can pay for all the sins of the world, the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the mystery of marriage. Man and wife become one flesh in marriage. And and the Apostle Paul said, Ah, it's a mystery. It's about Christ, the bridegroom, and Christ, the church. And how are these two interlinked? It's a mystery. So all these are mystery, but it can still be held in our mortal, limited human minds in a kind of tension so long as we are settled that God is love and we are beloved and that we are sinners and yet we are saved by the love of God through the death of His Son. Enough? Let's move on. Let's move on to the second part of uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And that starts with verse 15. It's a really turning point in, in this chapter. And I have to say that I do not have sufficient lung capacity to, uh, to pray this prayer. Because that's how Paul does it. Uh, I, you know, we all say that there's no full stop, there's no comma. And really, it's, it's one huge long sentence. So let's hyperventilate first. Okay, and from 15 to verse 23. Okay, let's read through that very quickly. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ah. There is even a mysterious context to, to Paul's prayer or Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Because if you read Acts chapter 19, it's, it's, it talks about about 12 believers, huh? around 12 believers who, whom Paul came across in Ephesus and who believed in Jesus and yet they never heard of the Holy Spirit. I don't quite know how that uh, could happen but they did not know what they possessed. They don't know what they had and so Paul explained to them and then prayed for them and they had a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. It's kind of like a man who lived in a beautiful home, and with every year that passes, he sort of become became tired of his house, and and he longed to possess something much better. So he decided one day, I'm going to sell the house. And he got in touch with a housing agent, and the housing agent promptly prepared an advertisement. Um, and before he put the advertisement up on the websites or newspapers, he asked the, the owner of the house, you know, i prepared it this way, what do you think? And it, it, it says, A beautiful home, ideal location, modern equipment, large garden, mature fruit trees, and, and, and beautiful flowering uh, trees. And, and then the, as, as he was reading this out to the owner, the owner said, hold, 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 hold everything, I've changed my mind. Uh, I'm not going to sell the house. I've been looking for a house like this all my life. He had it, but he just couldn't see it. And in a sense, Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 is like this advertisement, that we have a fresh appreciation of what we possess in Christ. So let's move on. What do we possess? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, he prays, uh, uh, Paul prays, Without ceasing, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. You possess the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit when you believe in Christ. That's that's how life is to be lived as a Christian. We are we are not left without somebody with us or or some power within us. And actually, a better way to think about it is not so much that you possess the Holy Spirit, but that A-Spirit possesses you. God's Spirit owns you, possesses you. And therefore, you submit in obedience and surrender completely. But what does God give you the Holy Spirit for? The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. What's it for? And, and therefore, through the centuries again, there's been all kinds of arguments about the gifts of the Spirit. There are so many uh, uh, written in uh, Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, um, but over one gift, the church has been quarrelling ever since, right? The gift of speaking in tongues. And some believe that there needs to be, everyone must have a second spiritual experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And how do you know that that, uh, it, it has happened? that you must speak in tongues, the evidence is the speaking in tongues. And then the others will say, no, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a second experience. There's no such thing that everybody must speak in tongues. And, but can we hold this intention and still be brothers and sisters in Christ if you have a, a, a friend who, who, who has exactly the opposite idea uh, uh, of this than, than you? So what is the spirit for? in the NIV, uh, New International Version of Ephesians 1, verse 17, it says, So that, I pray that the Father may give you the spirit of the wisdom and revelation, so that, so that you may know Him better. And so that you may know that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of truth, is a spirit of peace, is a spirit of unity, that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of all, over all of us. Unity. Which has to include us holding some things in tension. Otherwise, we'll be quarrelling over every, everything uh, among, among Christians. You know that Satan doesn't really need to destroy the church. Maybe that's not even his ultimate objective. All he needs is to split the church. All he needs is to disunify the church and we will destroy ourselves. We will be quarreling among ourselves over everything. So one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Last Friday, you know, we made this announcement many times about the Day of His Power. Every year on the 8th of August, there is a national prayer meeting and last Friday was at the the indoor stadium. Are you a Methodist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Anglican? Are you Brethren? We all come together. Eight thousand people were there, just praying, and praising God together. Doesn't matter what our denomination was, and whether we are Calvinist or Armenian. We were all there. But I didn't make it. I have a confession to make. You know, when I was, we asked you to go early, right? So I went there just on time, seven thirty, and the queue was like hundred and fifty meters away. So I, I just slowly shuffle, shuffle, queue, And then like about 100 meters away, the guy announced, oh, we have limited tickets. Some of you will be turned back. So before I got rejected, I turned back. <laughs> so it was quite terrible. But then I, I look at Facebook and friends and they post pictures. And it just a wonderful time. I think some 20 or more people from PPH uh, were, were there. Unity in praying. But we have another one, okay? On the seventh of October, this time is even better. It's prayer and fasting. So no excuse. Okay, don't take dinner, go straight from work. Down there, sure to be able to find us. But this time it'll be at the National Day. More seats. And this time we have already booked 250 tickets. So it's a different way of administering. Okay, we don't have to go there and, and, and get checked out and get a ticket. We already have the ticket, but I think we still need to go through security and all that. Thousands of Singapore Christians coming together and to pray for the nation, to worship God, and that's the unity. That's why we know the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants us to do, to know Him. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. So do you feel very wise? Do you feel like God has revealed a lot of things to you? maybe you say no. That's why Paul says keep on asking. Keep on asking. I keep on asking for you, Ephesians, that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So we need to keep on asking. Keep on asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians also says that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's like a continuous, uh, whatever tense that is. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, as I look back at life now, I, I do have some regrets that in my secular job in the military in business, I do not really ask like every day for wisdom and every day for, for revelation. I just sort of I can I can do my job. But now here in church I, I keep asking because every little thing is like, oh God I need wisdom. Oh god I need revelation. How is it to to move the church and how how to motivate uh, uh, the church, but but when you negotiate a contract and all that, sometimes you just forget God. You're so consumed in the, the, just the affairs of the day, but no. Keep on asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation for all that you do. Secondly, what do we possess? We possess the riches of our glorious inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Paul keeps praying that you would have eyes, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints is to be united with Christ in heaven. That is like the ultimate goal of history. That is Jesus' inheritance, the church. That is our inheritance to be with Jesus forever in heaven. Some years ago, my mom asked me to set up a, a fixed deposit account, just a joint name thing. Uh, she had some savings, so I just set it up. and then I think uh, a year later, when it matured, uh, I think I was in Malacca or somewhere, my mom called me, "What happened to the money? It's gone." And then I realized what happened that after maturity, it automatically went to my account and not my mom's account. So I found out, I explained to her. And, and then she said, you know, that was to have been your money anyway. It was yours. It was to be your inheritance. And then I learned the lesson. I learned the lesson that the kwasa er is more concerned about the inheritance than the kwasa e. Okay, you don't understand, right? Kwasa, I think is a Malay word, right? The Malay word for, for like bequeath or inheritance. The person who bequeath the money is more concerned about the inheritance than the person who inherits the money. And I think God has the same kind of idea. He's very concerned that you understand your inheritance with all the saints which is culminated in heaven with Jesus Christ. So what do we possess? We possess the spirit of wisdom, and revelation, and we possess the riches of His glorious inheritance and in heaven. But really, how much time do we think, uh, uh, spend thinking uh, about heaven as our inheritance? I have to say, not a whole lot, until recently, until when my mom passed away, and when I had surgery for cancer. And now I think about heaven a lot more. I want to see my mom again, you know? And, and if I get a diagnosis, or sorry, a re-diagnosis, oh, cancer has come back and all that, and, and your time is short, I want to know about heaven. And years ago, I bought this because somebody recommended eight-volume series on efficiency by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says this about heaven. He says, I do not hesitate to assert that the more spiritual we are, the more we shall think about heaven. The nearer we are to Christ, the more we shall meditate upon the glory which He has prepared for us. This is an invariable and infallible test of true spirituality. So guys, think about heaven. Think about heaven. Um, you know, some people say, ah, your Christian life, ah, just work lah, you know, um, be good, do good works. Don't think about the crowns. And, and It's like kind of a very selfish way of, of, of living, right? Don't think about heaven, you know? Um, be more altruistic. I think, I think cannot, right? We've got to think of, of the ultimate. What am I striving for? To meet Jesus. And one day he will say, you good and faithful servant. He will give me a crown of, of righteousness. It's right there in the Bible. So I don't think we ought to be ashamed in thinking about eternal rewards, and heaven, and all that. So, third point, what do we possess? Great power, like the working of His mighty strength. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul prays that you may know what? You may know His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Why did the Apostle Paul choose resurrection to illustrate the working of his mighty power? Could he not have chosen, say, God's power in creation? I mean, nowadays, like on Facebook or whatever, social media, you get a lot of quite incredible nature stuff, you know? Like what dogs can do, and this, this flower, and, and this fish or sea creature that is like incredibly amazing. Why not? Talk about God's creation power. Why not talk about the ten plagues as in God being so powerful? Why not talk about the parting of the Red Sea? Why not talk about uh, stopping the sun in the middle of the sky in, in Joshua chapter 10? Talk about resurrection. And I believe that resurrection was chosen because it's like the perfect analogy of what happens spiritually. Once dead, now alive. Once lost, now found. For us who believe and who trust in Christ, there is that working of His mighty power. We are seated with Him. Our position is secure in Him. We possess the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We possess a rich inheritance in heaven, and we possess the working of His mighty power. Anytime we are in spiritual union in Christ, we are surrendered to Him, we obey Him, there will operate the working of His mighty power. It's just that we can't see it yet. Sometimes. Sometimes we've got to look back before we can see it. And Paul prays that the eyes of our heart, that means that something very deep internally might be enlightened that we may know the riches of our inheritance, the great power for us who believe. And, and usually when we think of power, we think of hard power. The mighty miracles, uh, the ten miracles of, of Egypt, the, the, the power to, to create by speaking. God spoke a word, and creation, all kinds of things came um, into, into being. But how about soft power that we hear so much of, uh, uh, especially China going through uh, Africa and, and all that? The soft power that you cannot see immediately, but you look back after 5, 10, 20 years at a person's life, and say, oh my goodness, what great power has been working, uh, God has been working in this person's a life. And I, I came across two uh, just this week, uh, uh, last week. I met a friend for lunch on Monday. A friend I haven't seen like for 40 years or, or so again. We met on Facebook and said, oh, let's catch up for lunch. And he tells me that he was raised in, in, a Catholic, in, in a Catholic church and this particular Catholic church he says in his own words, my Catholic church doesn't like you to read the Bible. Uh-huh, really? Yeah. Then he says, well, because the, the priest preferred that he reads it to you and he interprets it and he teaches you rather than you read it and then you go into all kinds of uh, uh, whatever uh, false uh, teaching. And then he said, um, uh, the last time I saw him really was when he went off to university. He went off to the university in America, in Arizona, he says, where he lived for the first four months with a Baptist family. And he says, they read the Bible. They go to church. They always say grace. They always give thanks before eating. He says, for him and his family, they only like give thanks or, or say grace like for special meals, uh, good meals. Uh, otherwise, other days is it's not a factor. His face was not, not really real, but he said, Well, this Baptist family, they just live it out. It was real and they possess something. They possessed something. But it wasn't till like 20 years later, he's my classmate, so he'll be 60 this year. He says, at the age of 40, he couldn't take it anymore. He read the Bible. (laughs) And he says, I found out things that I should have possessed long ago. And his life changed. So he decided uh, to, to go to a Methodist church where his faith became real. He read the Bible. And, and recently, he, had, he, he led another one of my classmates, a Hindu uh, guy, to, to faith. And, and he was even like assigned from his larger church to go to a smaller place to start another uh, Methodist church. He's now a uh, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship uh, leader. So he's active in Christ. As a child of God, he now possesses the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He now knows the rich and glorious inheritance in the saints. And he now has great power. Like the working of God's mighty strength. But I think of that Baptist family. 20 years ago, I mean, all they were doing was just be hospitable to this young fellow who was probably 22 years old after national service. Four months only. But there was a power there. That 20 years later, this guy could not take it anymore. I should read the Bible. Thinking of that Baptist family. That great power that happened there that nobody realized. I think of another story. I met a young lady also last week who came from a broken home. And she tells me that she was mentored by the pastor of a very, very small church in Singapore. They say like 25, 30 people only. And I was just listening to her story. I was thinking, oh my goodness, such a lot of bad things could have happened to this girl. But this pastor of a very, very small church and his wife loved and nurtured her through the years. So I asked her, Tell me the name of the pastor. Maybe I know him. I mean, Singapore is, is quite big still, right? Then she mentioned and I said, I know this guy. I know this guy. So later that night, I sent a WhatsApp message to him. I said, yes, so I just met this girl. And uh, thank you for, for nurturing her and mentoring her and all that. And then his reply to me was like so unexciting. I can't remember what. Like, so unexciting, <laughs> I cannot remember. Like, yeah. I, I I salute this guy. <laughs> it's like, do you realize how you have contributed to this life by just loving and mentoring and nurturing? This is great power. Perhaps he has done so many of this and it's is so uh, uh, normal for him, but to me, it's, like, it's amazing that you wouldn't know until you look back many years and how you might have exerted that same resurrection power that you don't even realize by loving someone, by mentoring, and by helping someone. So when our eyes, when the eyes of our heart are enlightened, we will have power. Power to tackle what I call the nonsense of life. What are these nonsense? Hurts, bitterness, suffering, cancer, sickness, office politics, broken relationships. We will have the power to suffer, yes, to overcome, to love, to go beyond, to bless. Because of what? Because of our position in Christ, that we are secure. Because of our possession, the Spirit, our inheritance, and power. Let me ask um, the music team, uh, worship team to come and help us with a song. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Let us not be like the person who wanted to look for a newer house and not realizing that he's got really a beautiful home that God has given to him. You know, I, I really look forward to uh, this series on Ephesians. We've got many, many more Sundays uh, to go yet. We're going to cover it at the first service, at the second service, and we'll be preparing this uh, discussion guide for cell groups to to dig further into this and how to make it real and alive in uh, daily living. So if you're not a member of a cell group, can we do an alpha course? Come for one. Come for one and then maybe you like it so much you come for the second one and then you'll be forever and uh, ever after in, in, in a cell group. Uh, we're also having the same series in Ku cool Club, uh, our children and in Lao Chen our, our youth. I think yesterday was the first session Efficiency 1 that our Lao Chen was uh, studying the Bible together. So, if there are mums and dads here with your children, either in the youth or in Lao Gen, then use this opportunity to talk about Ephesians 1. If your your, your, your parents are in the first service, yeah, use this opportunity and, and, and have spiritual conversations. Uh, you you find in Ephesians later, it talks about addressing one another in spiritual songs and spiritual conversation. Ephesians is a very spiritual Book that, that really draws us back to a different realm, the realm of the heavenly places, because we are so engrossed in our schools and in our work. And once we get out there on 9 o'clock tomorrow, we like forget about the spiritual realm, which is more reality than, than actually our contracts and our work. So let's come together for this season. Come, let's stand. For you, as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him more. Pray that we will be filled with the Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. That we will pursue unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. And we're not going to be led astray by the evil one into all kinds of quarrels. That we unite as a church to be a blessing to the nations. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. enable you to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and I pray that you will have a fresh appreciation of the end game that we will be all united believers from every tribe and tongue with the Lord Jesus in heaven we will gaze into the beauty of his holiness we will worship him in eternity in heaven and I pray that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ will give us power for us who believe power according to, working, to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And as we go about our daily lives in the physical world, I pray the Lord will have us all very mindful of the heavenly realm, the heavenly places, the spiritual world that we are living in. And that as we begin daily, seeking God first, His kingdom, His righteousness, He would enable us to work the great workings of His mighty power in all the little things that we do. Uh, Even a simple thing like offering a cup of cool water to someone who is thirsty. Offering a listening ear to someone in distress, praying for someone, providing physical help, charitable help whatever every single thing looks very small but it is the working of his mighty power that's come years later you might not even know it but a person will remember your deed of kindness your deed of grace and he give thanks to God without even your knowledge and I pray that in our daily lives through the week we will work this kind of mighty power the power of love, the power of grace. As we have received, so we give. And I pray, God, that brothers and sisters here will have a fresh appreciation of our position in Christ, seated with Him in the heavenly realms, will have a fresh appreciation of the possessions that we have in Christ. Holy Spirit, who guides us. our inheritance so go with God everyone and be his instrument of peace and grace I pray in Jesus name Amen